Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Welcome to the Kate Daly Show. So happy to have you. And uh, this is a recorded interview with Sabelle Edmonds and uh, the book Operation Gladio. Uh, wow, what a interview. Uh, here you go. I am so happy to have Sabelle Edmonds on the show, FBI whistleblower, BoilingFrogsPost.com founder, author of the, the new spy mystery novel, The Lone Gladio. She was an FBI translator post 9-11 and then testified in the official reports of 9-11. Um, and, and Sabelle, you've risked your career, your reputation to bring these things to light. You've written a book called Classified Woman and, of course, The, the Lone Gladio. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. This is so exciting because you have so much to say. And I wish we had a three-hour show with you, to tell you the truth. Let's get right into this. You were hired uh, post-9-11 as a translator for the FBI. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I started working for the FBI three days after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Mm -hmm. And I was working as a language specialist for three languages, Turkish uh, that's the language spoken in Turkey, Farsi, that's the language in Iran, and also Azerbaijani, which is a Turkic-based language spoken in Azerbaijan. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of weeks after I started working as a language specialist, because of my background and my inside knowledge, and because of the lack of resources within the FBI, I also was performing uh, duties as analysts for the FBI, uh, FBI's counterintelligence division mm -hmm. in Washington field office, but also working with the Chicago field office for, for the FBI. Oh, wow. What a career. <laughs> I can't even imagine that your testimony was not included in 9-11. Well, uh, I had a three-hour recorded testimony that was recorded inside a SCIF. Mm -hmm. SCIF is a secure compartmentalized information facility. That's the place where you can talk about top secret classified information. Mm -hmm. However, because uh, everything about my case has been classified by Justice Department, by invocation of state secrets privilege, mm -hmm. and also a gag order in Congress, the commission, the 9-11 commission said they were not allowed to put any of the testimony. Instead, they just put a footnote saying that I provided them with testimony and it was on such such date and that it could not be released, that information. Jeez. Was it a difficult decision to do the testimony? Was it difficult for you or was it just sort of, this is, I'm going to just 
lay this out and I feel so frustrated that they would not include that but was it a difficult decision for you? Well, the journey actually started long before that because uh, within four or five months after I started working for the FBI, mm -hmm. I, uh, I ended up going to the Justice Department's Inspector General's office on uh, particular significant cases that were being shut down or covered up. And I had by then testified again inside SCIF in Senate uh, for the Senate Intelligence Committee, Senate Judiciary Committee for mm -hmm. both parties. I had been in the House and uh, I testified before again inside the SCIF all, all all classified before Congressman Waxman's office. And uh, so by the time I testified uh, inside the SCIF again, before the 9-11 Commission, I had already been through this journey. And uh, I still had high hopes, not uh, maybe not high hopes, that at least maybe this would be a channel where this extremely important information would become public. They were classifying this information not because of legitimate concerns about some ongoing investigations or some justifiable causes. They were uh, classifying this information. This is the Justice Department. Just This was the FBI. Mm -hmm. Only because they didn't want the American public to find out about it because as many people who are familiar with this case have put it, this ends up being a scandal far bigger than uh, Watergate. Absolutely. We're still trying to get the 28 pages uncovered uh, from 9-11. What's your take on that too? That depends. I know tons of publicities mm -hmm. have been going around this 28 pages. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I have an organization, National Whistleblowers uh, Organization, is for national security whistleblowers. These are people, whistleblowers, veteran whistleblowers from the CIA, from the FBI, from the Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA. Far more than 28 pages have been uh, kept out of um, the public's reach. And uh, I mean, if they were in pages, I would say they would be several hundred pages. Absolutely. Many of these people, veterans, had testified both before the 9-11 Commission, but also for the Joint Senate inquiry on 9-11 uh, before the 9-11 Commission. So I'm not sure exactly what's in there. People are speculating about Saudi Arabia, which mm -hmm. is a which is an easy speculation. Yeah, I agree. But I have to say that it won't be nearly as significant as uh, other hundreds of pages mm -hmm. that have never been even mentioned. Wow. Well, I want to I want to move on a little bit to the Lone Gladio. You wrote this book as a as a spy mystery novel to protect yourself, which I would I would do too. And I think in this novel you expose so many things that are so relevant and things that we need to know about our government and what they're capable of. I've I've did a show on PNAC. I've done shows on certain documents that have come out. Operation Gladio. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? You you cover this so extensively in your book. I love it. Uh, sure, Kate. Mm -hmm. I uh, before that book I wrote Classified Woman. That's mm -hmm. a non fiction book that that book is about my journey what happened when I started working for the FBI and after that and uh, that book was held up by the FBI close to two years uh, you have to submit uh, your nonfiction book if you have had secret clearance top secret clearance which I had both mm -hmm. and and they have to go they have the government has 30 days to review it and see if there is 
anything that is justifiably classified, black it out, and then give you the uh, permission to publish it. Well, this book, Classified Woman, they held on to it for two years, and then they told my attorneys that I couldn't publish a single word, that everything <laughs> that I had written was classified. Every single thing. And, wow. <laughs> <laughs> during this whole process of battling the FBI on this, I decided that my next book would be fiction because for fiction books, you are not under any obligation mm -hmm. to submit your work pre-publication to the DOJ or the CIA or the FBI for a pre-pub review. Hmm. And that decision was made as I was getting ready to publish Classified Woman. And that's why I wrote it. Mm -hmm. And the Operation Gladio, there are two Operation Gladios. One Operation Gladio uh, started in late 1950s this was during the cold war mm -hmm. and it was the joint cia and nato operation and this is not any conspiracy theory people can go and look it up because it has already been established mm -hmm. uh, this has been confirmed by the nato and cia in fact they had parliamentary hearings in italy and other countries on operation gladio so cia and nato they they uh, established these secret um the military and they were not exactly military. Agent provocor would be a better term for it in various countries uh, in Europe. And what they they did with these groups were they engaged in false flag operations in order to, in some cases, garner public support for the West versus the Soviet Union. And in some cases, it were to just blame it again on the Soviet Union and saying this is what that was. This, let's say, particular bombing mm -hmm. was done and performed by, by the Soviet agents. And they were active until 1992. 1992, but after the end of Soviet Union, uh, after Soviet Union, the communism basically was uh, ended. Mm -hmm. uh, the same operation transformed and and continued. This time, it was it was based on not only in Middle East and in Central Asia and in Caucasus, but also in Western countries, including UK and in the United States to uh, to create these Islamic cells that were 100% funded by NATO and the CIA, and they were 100% directed and trained by the CIA and NATO so that they would, using the terror, and this time Islamic terror, they would, um, they would expand uh, within this region. And it also includes Central Asia and Caucasus. For example, some of the cells that were created, and they are still in operations by the United States, by the NATO in Central Asia, uh, under some Islamic titles and names, they opened close to 400 mosques wow. in countries like Kyrgyzstan and in Azerbaijan, uh, in Turkmenistan. And uh, in fact, the leader of one of the top networks, Islamic networks in that region, uh, is a Turkish man named Fethullah Gulen. Who uh, was wanted in Turkey for for his terror and Islamic terror related activities? Well, the CIA moved Fethullah Gulen in 1997 with private plane to the United States. Since 1997, this man, this mullah, this this ayatollah, has been living in the United States in a big castle in Pennsylvania. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> and his Islamic network, uh, this non-governmental uh, organization he set up in the United States, this NGO is uh, valued around $20 billion worth. Wow. It is the most, uh, it is the most sophisticated Islamic network in the world, which is headquartered in the United States. They operate 120, I believe, charter schools in the United States. Wow. Uh, We're going to come right. Maybe they're not getting enough art. Kids who participate in the arts do. Hey, everyone. Quick message here. I just wanted to tell you about uh, about something Birch Gold is doing over the next week. And, you know, the reason I tell you to go to them is this is who I trust. There's a lot of people that come to me that want me to refer to them, to sell gold and silver to them or what have you. Nope. No way. This is who I trust. I trust Birch Gold, and this is why I talk about him on the air, and this is why I waited 13 years to talk about anyone on the air, is I really wanted to make sure it was somebody I knew I could trust. This is why Ron Paul trusts him, Steve Bannon trusts them, a lot of people with a lot of money. And let me just tell you, they're very, very good at what they do, and they're very good at advice. They have a Black Friday event uh, Mar- from uh, March, <laughs> from November 17th to November uh, 24th, Okay. And when you open a gold IRA and back it with gold, which might not cost you anything to do, for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold is going to send you a free gold bar. And this is, you have to text Kate to 989898, okay? That, that phone number, 989898, to claim eligibility before Black Friday, all right? So Birch Gold can help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold for no money out of pocket, and you still get the free gold bars. Isn't that amazing? For every 10000 you put into an account backed with gold, you're going to get a free gold bar. I just think that's kind of amazing. So take advantage of this. It is, um, it is uh, the 17th. Uh, through the 24th, just make sure you go and do this. Text 989898 and text my name. All right. Really appreciate you doing that because I know you're going to get the information you need. Information's free. So this is just going to give you the info and then you can decide what to do. But it's some good advice for you. And I really like good advice. You know that I do my homework, but this is who I trust most importantly. And I want to, I want to stress that this is who I trust. These are the guys I trust. Thanks you guys. 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Back here with you, resuming our interview, our pre-recorded interview with Sabelle Edmonds. Uh, here we go. This Islamic organization in the United States, you will see that they have put a big legitimate front. They have several high-level famous former congressmen and congresswomen and senators as their lobbyists that they mm-hmm. have hired. And, uh, well, these people, uh, this is Fethullah Gulen in the United States and his network, they operate and, and erect all these madrasas in, uh, in places in Central Asia, in Caucasus, in in, um, in Indonesia uh, and hundreds of madrasas. These are the Islamic religious schools. They build mosques and they have this front that they say they are moderate Islam, but their entire activities are towards the Operation Gladio terrorism activities. They have uh, big connections with the Chechen networks. In fact, many of these Chechens are taken out of Russia into Turkey. They are trained again by CIA, NATO, this Fethullah Gulen network, and they are sent back to Russia to engage in terror 
operations, terrorist events, the bombings that uh, that we hear about and we have been hearing about since 1997. You know, C- uh, CBS 60 Minutes did a puff piece on that, and it tells you a lot about <laughs> how the media is bought and sold completely, does it not? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> New York Times oh, uh, has been always for the past, since CIA mm-hmm. brought this man to the United States, have well. been writing glowing articles. In fact, he was one of the Time Magazine's persons two years ago. Uh, <laughs> He's uh, being marketed to the Americans as the moderate, modern, uh, Islamic uh, 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 Islamic influence in this world of terror. It couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is part of the Operation Gladio, and uh, they are also, the same network is engaged in money laundering that comes from uh, heroines that being mm-hmm. exported, taken out of Afghanistan. I mean, I would say if uh, they are the most, uh, they are the largest, yet the most legitimate mm-hmm. terror group in the world, because people again can look it up. These are mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. They're not really secrets. You look at Fed to Lock Yulan, you will see that the network currently worth $20 billion. And whenever they are interviewed, anybody, including their lobbyists, these are United States, former United States senators, then they say, well, where this money is coming from? They say, oh, there are all sorts of good Muslims who are uh, donating to this group, $20 billion worth. It's a lot of donating. And and then they say, well, aren't you building madrasas? Mm -hmm. And they engage in this falsification. They say these are moderate madrasas that are teaching science and and language, uh, etc. And uh, however, a lot of these madrasas, including the properties, let's say the ones in Central Asia, they are terrorism uh, training camps, and they have been since 1998. In fact, uh, the network was kicked out of Russia years ago, several years ago, and several other countries, again, in that region, in Central Asian regions, uh, they actually banned them because of uh, all the evidence they gathered of their terror activities. Mm-hmm. Well, this organization is headquartered in the United States of America, yes. and their lobbyists are the highest level American people. And I guess we will get to some of that yeah. when we proceed with some of the, uh, again, some of these politicians, U.S. politicians who are also involved in this operation. Wow. So Operation Gladio went from the bad guy is uh, in the Cold War is Russia to now we have the bad guy as the war on terror in Middle East centered in that area. Um, my question would be, how much is contrived for reasons of fear? Because uh, we see the loss of liberty every day in this country. How much of it is that? How much of it is real? How much of a threat do we have here? What is your take on that, Sibel? Well, it is an artificial threat that has been purposefully created and is being operated. Uh, again, this is not a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. We already know it has become public that when it comes to Al-Qaeda and when it comes to bin Laden, we were using bin Laden. Bin Laden was directly working for the CIA during the Afghan-Russia yes. war period in nineteen early 1980s. So for many Americans to write it off and say, well, that was back then because 
there was communism and we had to do what we had to do in order to basically um, defeat the communism which that's how it was justified back then Kate mm-hmm. sure. everything was justified all the expenditure we have trillions of dollars on defense which has mostly been offense not defense right had been always justified on this communism threat well 1990 1991 arrives and that threat is gone there is no longer a soviet union well we have this huge military industrial complex trillions of dollars that were justified that was justified based on threat what do we do they are going to collapse most of them Mm -hmm. we had to create another threat equal to communism, maybe even bigger, make it international in order to justify our imperialistic wars, our aggression. They constantly say preeminence over and over and over. We got to keep the preeminence. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's very pure and simple. Mm -hmm. And you see that PNAC was written and then a year within a year we had the 9-11 attacks and and suddenly we had this whole thing that started with al-qaeda and then after 10 12 years al-qaeda's maybe brand was not any longer effective because i mean people started becoming maybe desensitized Mm -hmm. to it then the isil was isis isil was created so uh uh, and as long as we have these so-called threats the Mm -hmm. artificially created by us threats Mm -hmm. Uh, then we can sustain this military industrial complex we can uh, we can turn around and and attack all these countries yeah. and uh, and and engage in all these aggressions outwardly and inwardly domestically we can take away all people's uh, rights by right. saying that but constantly every day billions of times within every single news outline on the papers and the radios on tv terror threat terror threat terror mm-hmm. threat and 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 say that's why you're going to be violated every time you go to the airport you're going to be fundled and this is why we are spying on every single american and all your emails emails and all your phone lines are being monitored because you have people driven by fear that that turns into its government to its government and says protect me there are these big bad boogeymen around the world do whatever it takes to protect me and that has been a you know along the uh, throughout the history the tactic used uh, Hitler used to say that the, the let's say the Jews or other foreign groups were threat mm-hmm. to the both national welfare and security of Germans you have to create these enemies and and with those enemies and those artificially created threats justify what you do and what you do with taxpayers dollars absolutely and, and not be accountable absolutely when was your when was your eye-opening wake-up moment to all of this Sabelle? i mean did you always feel this way from when you could remember or was there a moment that this happened for you <laughs> It's interesting. I grew up in several countries in Middle East, and, mm-hmm. and my father was a political activist. He was a doctor. He was a surgeon. He passed away in 2000. So I was I, I considered myself fairly aware and educated when it came to all these international operations done by the United States and the CIA, etc. But I was extremely naive when it came internally, domestically. When I came to the United States, I you know I went to the university. I got my master's 
degree in public policy. I truly believed in this wonderful notions, theoretical notions of system of checks and balances mm-hmm. and separation of powers. I was like, what an incredible place. I mean, look at all these things, the United States Constitution, having thing called First Amendment right, thing that doesn't even exist in some of even the Western world countries. <laughs> right. So I was I was a believer mm-hmm. and it started gradually. It started as I started seeing things within the FBI. And I still was naive because I thought once I went to the inspector general's office, something would be done. It would be corrected. You know, Mm -hmm. people would be held accountable when you have evidence, when you have documents, when you show, you know, uh, criminal activities by people, uh, you know, waste, fraud, abuse. Mm -hmm. Then I still had my hopes after that hope was uh, futile. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When I went to Congress, I thought, once Congress knows, Mm -hmm. because they are a separate entity, you know, we have separation of powers. Sure. They're going to do something. They're going to hold these people and these operations accountable. When that didn't happen, then I went to the (laughs) mainstream media. And you remember, Mm -hmm. I had my 2002 CBS 60 uh, Minutes uh, moment. Yes, I remember. (laughs) I thought, surely, surely, because Mm -hmm. now the American people are going to demand Mm -hmm. the information that is their right to know. It's not because it's justifiably classified and then demand accountability. So I guess I have to say that uh, that level of naivete just got went away, got destroyed. And to a certain degree, some people may consider me a cynic because uh, I would say it's realism and being realistic. But I guess many people, naive people who are where I used to be before uh, <laughs> 2001 may consider me a cynic. And, and, and I understand why they would. I know, you know, I'm sorry, I absolutely agree with you, though. And I have become that way, too, partly because as you start to see these things, you read stuff like uh, Operation Northwood. You, you start to see all these documents, and you're seeing it in document form. It's totally different. And you start to you start to see it from a broader view, and you, you start to objectively see the United States from different points of view instead of our preeminence point of view. Does that make sense? So I, I agree with you. I think it's a hard road to get to, and once you get there, you see it differently, and you can't unsee it. So. Absolutely. And then you came, I mean, you kind of come, I came. <laughs> That's why I said, <laughs> uh-huh. you come to this fork where, you, where sometimes you say, heck with it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I give up because I fought for 10, 12 years. I did everything I could, including publishing my first book, despite the fact that the FBI said, you published this book, you're going to go to jail. And then say, I, I'm not going to deal with it because, you know, yeah. When you talk to some veteran whistleblowers, I'm talking Mm -hmm. about legitimate whistleblowers. They are whistleblowers I consider legitimate. Some Mm -hmm. of them maybe not so legit. If if you were to ask me and some of these people, what was your biggest disappointment? You know, who let you down the most? Maybe 10 years ago, I would have first said, the, the executive branch. Then two years after that, maybe I would have said the United States Congress. And then I went for several years saying, well, because of the information gatekeepers, the media. But after all this time, now 12 years later, I I have to turn around and, and say the people, the, the, people. the party that has let us down the most, any of the truth tellers and whistleblowers, I would say, unfortunately, would be the majority, the American 
people mm -hmm. because once the information become public one way or another, and in some cases they have, uh, it's their responsibility to rise up and to demand and to seek the mm -hmm. truth and accountability and and justice it's not going to be handed to them and and something has happened to to the united states of america you said you're right about mm -hmm. the fear factors yes. but i don't want to excuse everyone and say well because of fear factors they are doing this it is maybe through years of indoctrination through our public schools and then of course media there is this numbness there is this apathy there is this hand me everything i'm not gonna get up and do things for myself We'll be right back more with Sibel Edmonds when we come back, finish this pre-recorded interview. Talk lines are open now. Um, wow. Operation Gladio is her book, by the way, and she also, uh, Boiling Frogs is a fantastic website uh, for truth and news. Here you go, more Sibel Edmonds. There is this hand me everything. I'm not going to get up and do things for myself. Right. There is this passivity that 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 is remarkable to see and I would say it's unprecedented in the history of this country. One of the characteristics that separated this nation from the rest of the world initially and for to a large extent for years was 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 the people and, and we were not monarchy, we were not the British Empire and something happened to our country and, and people have become so docile, they have become mm -hmm. so apathetic and then they complain about why things are so bad and they never want to look inward to say how much of it I am to blame right. you know we can point fingers and say these people well we are sustaining these people in our government with our tax money supposedly we go and cast vote so you're looking at the mirror you're looking mm -hmm. at yourself when yes. you say our corrupt politicians and our corrupt system well this is us they're a, they're a product of us. us they're a product of us because it has to come from the pool of the people and you know absolutely I, I wonder if the cognitive dissonance that we have in this country is because there's two extremes. You have the narrative that the media wants us to believe, and then you have reality. And I feel like it's so separated, and that's why they're able to say a conspiracy theorist or you're, you know, you're crazy, because the two extremes are so extreme. Absolutely. And part of it is willful to say, maybe some of this truth is just too painful or it demands action from me. Mm -hmm. Thus, I rather look the other way and, 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 and say, okay, if I look the other way and if I pay attention to some Kardashian or something, <laughs> it, I won't see it. It won't bug me when I say what you don't know can't hurt you. Mm -hmm. That kind of mentality. And, and it is really ingrained in so many things. It's not only our political systems. I believe it's it seeps through our family values and system. Mm -hmm. It seeps through our, our education system. It is all around us. And, and I have to say, I don't want to sound like some sort of a preacher, but mm -hmm. there is this decay, uh, the decayed society that, 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 that is really under this cancerous disease. And it's just sitting there and the cancer cells, they are just spreading, whether it's within our education system or political system, within our Senate, within in every single of one of these agencies and 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 you know we're just saying just take over take over our uh, take over us yes you know? yes make and, our decisions and, and, <laughs> yeah right yeah. this wedding in pakistan we just uh throw the bomb there and the entire 
family, extended family was wiped out. Jeez. And nobody holds us accountable. Right. I mean, we are engaged in, 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 in mass murder around the world. When you look at how many people have been killed in Iraq, and then start comparing it to how many people were killed during Saddam's awful regime, and you start thinking, really? Right. I mean, this is being done by our concern, with our consent, because... Hey, either we have to say this is a despotic, this despotic regime in the United States, okay? Which, mm-hmm. or we have to say since we vote and we get these people, this is us, okay? Right. So this is our representatives engaged in torture and murder around the world. Mm-hmm. That's us. This is us, American. And when you start traveling, when you're talking to people. And now they are saying that right after 9-11, for let's say a year, we could excuse this. But we are looking at Americans now and we say, what kind of people are you? Right. I mean, when you when you watch these all these hundreds of movies made, you know, on, on, on Hitler or other despotic regimes and you say, oh, how horrible. Then look what you've been doing. Yes. You know, some people would say we did it in Vietnam. We killed what a, a million, a million and a half people there, mm-hmm. you know, but. Just since 9-11, how many murders have been committed in our name? And they keep announcing them as they killed hundreds of ISIS or Al-Qaeda people. But when you look at the murder, you see the genders, 20% of them female. You look at all the children. You look at the elderly and say, really? Mm-hmm. The, government, really? The, gov- the government's created this If You Knew What We Knew Club. And then Americans go to sleep because they give it. They, they say, well, if I guess they know something we don't. All these people needed to perish for our safety. It's the biggest lie we've been told. And until we yeah. wake up to that, I don't know that we have a chance. I also I'm with you. I think that once you're hitting the pocketbook, it becomes much different. Maybe you have eyes to see then. I don't know. <laughs> but something's big needs to happen. And I fear maybe a false flag by our own government blamed on uh, the Middle East, ISIL, ISIS, what, what have you whatever group they want to blame it on. Do you see that coming down the pike too? As I, I, I mean, that's, I'm almost expecting it. It just seems. Well, it's happening outside the United States constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, our website, uh, I, through my contacts, both in Pentagon and in Turkey, these are military contacts. I, uh, our website had a press release on training camps uh, from the U.S. air base in Turkey. This is in in Adana area, and and uh, and and training all these Syrian militants to use for false flag operations inside Syria against wow. Assad. We released this six months before any news about Syria started surfacing in mainstream media. And we put that public, we actually created a video on this on YouTube, we put it there, we, we had our sources, some of them anonymous. We, we speculated all this that this is exactly what was happening. So we, the United States and NATO, we were training these people in Turkey in United States base, military base, Air Force base, Air Force base in Turkey. We were giving them weapons, training them, and then smuggling them back into the Syria three and a half, four years ago. So all these things that we hear that they did this and they did this beheading, you, in some way, it is 
the artificially mm -hmm. created terror events that we created. Absolutely. They are us. You know, yeah. they say toys are us. But <laughs> during the 80s, Al-Qaeda, uh, back then we didn't call them Al-Qaeda. We called them the freedom-fighting Mujahideen right. and, 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 uh, and Bin Laden. Well, they were us. Mm -hmm. And since the Cold War, when you're looking at these, um, these so-called Islamic terror threats, including ISIS, well, they are us. They are. Yeah, absolutely. They are us. Absolutely. And I don't know when the American people are going to finally wake up and realize that. And I, I, I hope it's soon. I hope more people are finally seeing the two-party system is one party. I mean, it's just getting absolutely. to the point of just craziness that after 100 years, if there was a party that was better than the other, we would have seen it. 80 years Absolutely. ago. <laughs> so. That was the article I wrote right around the election times on uh, on Obama. And, and mm -hmm. it was called the two sides of the same coin. Wow. And, and it was and I, I came under attack. And this is another thing throughout my journey. It was unbelievable during the first four or five years of my case, 2002 till 2007, 2008, the, the, some public support that I had came from people who were partisan. They were Democrat. They called themselves liberal. Mm -hmm. And they, because the gag orders, et cetera, came from the Bush administration, the Republicans. So it basically was useful for their side to say, look what this person and the Republicans are doing to our country. And as soon as I started writing all the critical pieces and giving interviews after 2008, they were the first groups who began attacking and, and, and saying, what does she know? And, mm -hmm. and she should just shut up and just Right. carry a title of whistleblower <laughs> and because because you're looking at what the other administration did multiply mm -hmm. that by two being done by this administration exactly no difference whatsoever no difference i would say if there is a difference i have to give it to even previous administration they didn't at least pretend the other <laughs> pretend other way because sure. with this and and this is the change we were looking for Look what this person and, and this administration has done, far worse than the previous administration. Right, right. And what terrible. is going to come is going to be likely the same. We're going to basically the same thing because this is the system. Mm -hmm. And and when they say viable candidates in the United States, that's what they mean. Right. They mean a candidate that is one of them, you know, the, the candidate pro-corruption and pro-aggression and pro-waste and fraud and abuse and anti-civil liberties <laughs> and 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 uh, backed by the military-industrial complex, backed by the big financial institutions, whether it's Obama, whether it's Bush, whether it's Romney. And when they see candidates that actually uh, defer from this rotten, corrupt system. Let me give you an example. Let's say in 2008, Ron Paul, mm -hmm. right away you hear the mainstream media saying, oh yeah, he's nice and he's cute and funny and blah, but he's not viable. Exactly. To be exactly. viable, you have to be one of these dirty, corrupt people. And and the American people, they listen, they're like, actually, I would like to cast my vote for Ron Paul, but he's not going to be elected anyway, mm -hmm. because I've been told he's not viable. Well, then go ahead and cast your vote for viability, which means corruptibility, right. and be done with that or save this and just don't vote, really. <laughs> I totally agree with you. John Stockwell, the CIA guy that came out, whistleblower, said it's team A and team B. 
And they just throw each team in when they feel like the people need to be complacent. And so I'm with you on that. And when someone like you is courageous enough to come forward and say, this is what's going on, do you find it astounding that you're the first person that people throw stones at, that people just want to annihilate? I'm no longer. I used to be. Mm-hmm. It was shocking. You're right. I was surprised. I was yeah. shocked. It was it was all new to me and and it hurt. Really it did. I'm sure. I don't want to say I developed th- thicker skin, but I I got to understand and see it over and over. So you look at the symptoms, then you start looking for the cause and saying, well, what are the causes for this symptom? Because this is a symptom. Exactly. And once you understand the cause, you know where it's coming from. No, it's it's not. For example, I I, uh, I rarely, rarely give any interviews or show up for any mainstream uh, channels unless I see some a sign off or indication of fairness exactly you know fairness i uh i have had cases where i've been on cnn and they would ask me a couple of questions that went exactly to you know what they wanted to get the agenda at. sure and they wanted to make sure that nothing else got in there and well, <laughs> well sometimes the answers are not that simple okay mm-hmm. and and uh and uh, and and that's exactly what they want to give to the people this canned uh, perspective massaged and prepared by them to be served to the american public on the platter and say here's the truth and here's what's happening and, oh, and this absolutely. is what's being said absolutely. so i don't participate any longer in those <laughs> well good for you i wouldn't either if i were you because i would feel like why why contribute to that and absolutely. you want your story told and you want it told the right way and and i i love that you're about truth and I love your website. I really do. I have to give you props for that. Boilingfrogspost.com. It's amazing. And I know we went way over time, so I really apologize. <laughs> but it's, oh, been, no, this, it's been such a these thrill. These are very important issues, as yeah. you said, before we began recording. And, mm-hmm. and I'm glad to see that uh, some people are still trying, and that being you. Because it when people say, well, among all these uh, pessimistic developments mm-hmm. and the situations, how do you maintain hope? hope and i say well because it's not all that because once in a while i do come across uh, a very good uh, website or or a podcast program mm-hmm. or an author or or a small local activist group that's that makes me stop and say look you know it's not all bad there even though unfortunately i call it irate minority mm-hmm. and in 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 throughout the history the big changes, whether they are real revolutions or gradual revolutions, if you look at them, they have never really been done by the majority. It's always this group of core irate minority. The squeaky wheel. That's what it takes. Yes, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and that's, that's Absolutely. too bad. So, so it's good to see that 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 there are still places, mm-hmm. and uh, whether for the as news outlet uh, information sources or local good activism groups that say as long as we have those we still have this hope however slight absolutely one last question for you just a quick one is the show homeland based on partially your story 
I've heard this. I've heard I this. I, I, I've been asked that question. Uh-huh. In fact, some people have uh, done a show talking about it without me being, mm-hmm. because I haven't watched it. In 2005, we uh, got rid of our antenna and cable, Good et cetera. So we haven't had TV, <laughs> connected TV. So I haven't watched it, but I have received emails. I know there has been some, <laughs> and they say that they have gotten it from based on your case, and they have been using it for the show. Wow. But I'm not sure if that's the case. And now we have a daughter. She's six years old. And mm-hmm. I have to say she hasn't watched a single commercial on TV because we don't have it. Oh, good for and you. She hasn't been exposed to any of these fear mongerings because we don't have TV. Good for you. I give you a gold star for parenting. I love it. I love it. Oh, Sabelle, would you come back at some point and talk to us again? Because you're right. Oh, I would love to. Thank I would you. love to. And, uh, and again, thank you for doing this. I think it's very valuable because hopefully you get to some people and, mm-hmm. and, and, and segments that we haven't had the reach to get. And the more we inform people, the higher. Thank you. I absolutely love that. The, the, the website is boilingfrogspost.com.